Hello and welcome to the Forbes India cover story podcast series in association with the indicas.com. My name is Abhishek. This cover story is about one of the most recognizable faces in the world of business or at least in India and uh, it's about Kishore Biyani. Uh, it's been authored by principal correspondent Samar Srivastava. Sai Samar, how are you doing? Good. Thanks for having me on the podcast. Thank you. Mr. Biyani, we all know about him. He's a household name and uh, we know about his successes through case studies in b schools or even cover stories that have been done in the past but in this cover you don't really dwell upon the laurels of the man and you get straight to the point that not all is well with the so called empire that he has built so why don't you tell us what was the story about and what was the brief and how did you come about with this idea of getting it up on the cover well the reason why we haven't dwelt a lot on his successes in the indian retail space are primarily because those successes have been written about time and again and this is a time when things are not going too well for him and you know the story really was about how he got into this mess and more importantly what he is doing to get out of it you know kishore biyani is someone who is a fighter and you know he when he's pushed to the wall that brings out the best in him and so the original idea with which we started out was he's got this mountain of debt that really is weighing down the future group you know there are huge interest payments every year that really are sapping away at his profits and sapping away at his cap at the capital that he needs to expand and you know we looked at this mountain of debt and then we we noticed that you know he he had declared internally within the group a war on debt and he was going about uh, now disposing of some of his assets you know what really caught us and caught the market by surprise was the fact that he ended up first selling off pantaloons and pantaloons was a business which he started off his retail empire with that was his first store in 1996 in calcutta and you know once he ended up selling this we realized look this is someone who's really really serious about fixing his debt problems and once that was sold we realized you know maybe he's going to do something big and maybe he's going to sell something big uh, and that's when we realized that this was a story that was worth exploring in some detail and possibly putting on cover and that's when we started meeting people and talking to our sources and you you talk about the mountain of debt and it indeed is one because it's 9000 crores now tell me how does a debt that big accumulate in you know if you can take a shot at it just like in the airline industry we saw what happened with kingfisher every industry has its own vagaries so how did it accumulate to this big a number summer retail is a business that at its core is not a business that seeks capital so by that what i mean is once you set up a store and you've stabilized operations you reach a state where you don't really need money to run day to day operations unlike in an airline you know it's not a capital sapping business but what happens is that when you're in expansion phase you need capital to expand now what happened with the future group and mr biani is that he went wrong on two counts number one is he expanded too fast so that sucked up a lot of capital and also at the per store level it took him very very long to stabilize operations and so you had capital being sucked up while he was expanding and also each individual store that had already been set up and not had not been stabilized was also sucking that part capital now when we met mr biani in 2010 at that point he told us that you know they would reach a stage a year down the line which is last year where they would not need additional capital for the stores they already have they would still need capital in order to expand but that obviously didn't happen because the economy slowed down etc etc as a result of which he ended up accumulating something like 
9,000 crores of debt, which is about $1.6 billion, which for a group that's, that's about $2.2, $2.3 billion, is a lot of debt, and interest payments on that just kept rising. So that's how really, that's how really he accumulated his debt. And if you wait for a while, we don't know the way the rupee is depreciating. The value of 1.5 billion might just boom a little bit more. That's right. And you mentioned that he sold off his pet project, Pantaloons, not very long ago. Now, entrepreneurs, and he's an entrepreneur and not just a businessman, and entrepreneurs don't like to cede control, is what we are known to believe. How would you perceive when a first-generation entrepreneur starts selling off his properties? Is it perceived as abandoning the ship, if, if I may dare guess? Well, that's what we initially thought that's the traditional thought that we in India have, that entrepreneurs don't like ceding control, don't like selling their businesses, entrepreneurs don't like getting out of their businesses. But while researching the story, that assumption or that assertion was repeatedly challenged, and we realized that, say, in the IT space, entrepreneurs constantly incubate companies and sell out. In America, it's considered par for the course. You know, you start a company, you scale it up to a certain stage, and you then sell out. There are people who are startup experts. There are people who are scale-up experts. You know, so while researching the story, we, we realized that the fact that entrepreneurs don't want to sell or don't want to feed control is not necessarily true. And it's certainly not true in the case of Kishore Ziyani. He's always spoken of himself as someone who's a creator as well as a destroyer. And through the course of his, his lifetime, he has created businesses as well as destroyed businesses. There are innumerable formats that he has shut down. There are innumerable joint ventures that he's gotten out of. What was surprising was the fact that he would sell the business he started off with, and a business that was profitable, a business that gave him so much, and pantaloons. And, you know, he started off 25 years ago in a small shop in, you know, the Mumbai suburb of Andheri East. And that was a place where, you know, he used to manufacture trousers and patloon is the Hindi word for trousers and that eventually became pantaloons, which was primarily a men's apparel store. The fact that he would start by selling this business was extremely, extremely surprising. And, you know, yes, he was forced to sell this business. If given a choice, he would not have sold his business and he's primarily, he's privately admitted to that. But look, when you're dealing with a mountain of debt, you don't really have too many options. So what are the other things that he's doing apart from selling steak that will definitely get the debt burden down, but in part of the cost-cutting measures or the near-term strategy, what does he have on his plate? He's taking other piecemeal measures. For instance, there has been some amount of attrition in the organization and people haven't been replaced. He's called it de-layering. He says that over the years, the organization has just become too complex and too bureaucratic, and that's not the way an entrepreneur wants to run his organization. So so there's been some reduction on staff cuts. Big Bazaar, the format he founded in 2001, which has again been a runaway success. It was essentially a low-cost format. You know, you did have a lot of the overheads that retailing has. And he said that, you know, again, he's going to sort of try and reduce cost there. He's going to try and squeeze everything out of operational efficiencies. And by that, I mean, set up a more efficient back-end chain, set up food parks and things like that in order to cut costs. But the key really lies in him getting his operations on track, squeezing every ounce of efficiency that he can from the system. And there is some good news there, and that good news 
comes in the form of his cousin Rakesh Biani, who's is very cool, calculated, numbers driven, and you know while Kishore Biani speaks from the gut and doesn't always look at the numbers. Rakesh looks at the numbers and he's been given the task of fixing the back end and this is a task he was given 2 years ago and then when the economy came back and shoppers flocked to his stores Rakesh was abruptly removed from that task now i think Kishore Biani has realized that he needs to fix the back end and there's no going back from that and Rakesh has once again been given charge of fixing the back end and people say that he ought to deliver this time how does the top management work at future group because it's a family run business at the end of it so are the top positions held by professionals outside the family if so then what was the experience because you mentioned that mr rakesh was brought back so how how's the top management structure as such well like all family businesses i don't think there's any doubt that it's the family that calls the shots and it's the family that's in complete control but over the years kishor biani has had to show to people that he is capable of hiring professionals that professional managers do want to work for him and also that he's willing to give these professional managers the requisite space now that said in 2009 2010 he did hire some trophy managers to show the markets that look i am professionalizing and i am hiring good top dollar talent and so you had someone called vibha paul rishi who had been a director at pepsi who came in she was a much touted hire you had other big name hires that also came in you had b anand who came in from as as group finance head who came in from vedanta and a few years before that you had sanjay jog who came in as group hr head but what happens is that you know once they come in they realize that it doesn't run like a multinational where you have set targets and where you have set deliverables and you know as one manager whom i won't name here told me that he worked there for 4 years and he never had a single performance review and which i found extremely extremely surprising but he said that kishore biani runs his business in a very different way he says that look if i give you a target if i give you a 20% target you're going to achieve that target and you're going to then sit back and relax but in the indian economy where retail is just developing i have my business growing at 30 35% a year so what for me not to say that the business is going to grow at 50% next year and why should i give you a 20% target when you can go out there and achieve 50% now that works great when times are good and when businesses are growing very fast but what happens when you you're getting just a 10% growth rate and you don't have the 20% target so it's an organization where uh, there's a lot of flux where the financiers calls the shots and which needs to do a fair bit of professionalizing and how do they plan to deal with uh... the foreign direct investment which uh, might just be opened for foreign players to come in india when that happens is he for it against it foreign direct investment has been a much discussed topic within the group and outside at present you have a 26% cap on fii investment so what this means is that foreign brokerages and foreign investors can buy shares of his on the stock market but what they can't do what you can't have is one foreign investor coming and buying 26% of the entire company so it's just foreign institutional investors are allowed to buy now kishore biani was initially against fdi for a brief period till he then realized that he needs the capital to expand and he he's clearly better off getting it from a foreign investor who can also bring in some expert that hasn't happened and you saw the government flip flop in december where they initially allowed it and then backtracked on it and that that has hurt him very very badly because 
he clearly needs capital to expand. Uh, he's got big bazaar with 165 hypermarket stores across the country. That would be that clearly is the jewel in his crown, and that any foreign investor would love to get his hands on. Yes, there would be integration issues. Yes, there would be other challenges. But you can't deny that he's got great real estate across the country. And if for nothing else, they'd probably just buy it for the real estate. So he's been for foreign investment. He desperately needs the money. And I think a lot of the deals that he's done are just deals that allow him to hold on until foreign investment is allowed and he can then get the valuation he needs for the businesses he's built up. Right. Talking about foreign companies, we have a, a very strong alliance between Bharti and Walmart. Kishore Biani and Sunil Mittal, you know, when they meet at events, would you have any idea about how, what their relationship is? Because they are obviously two of the big guns in the same industry. And how will Bharti's alliance with Walmart help or hinder Biani's plans? Well, I'm told the two respect each other and they have great regard for each other, but it's more of a professional relationship and they're not friends or buddies. Now, having said that, as you mentioned, Bharti is in an alliance with Walmart. And that's again because foreign direct investment in retail is not allowed. So Walmart runs the cash and carry or wholesale stores where foreign investment is allowed in India. But retailing for Indians like you and me, we couldn't walk into a Walmart store and buy. We'd have to walk into something called an Easy Day store, which is run by Bharat. And this is what our sources have told us. All indications are that Walmart would take over the alliance once foreign direct investment is allowed. But, you know, Bharti obviously is going to extract or want to extract a fair size for that. Now, if foreign investment were allowed tomorrow, in all probability, like I said, Walmart would buy a Bharti's stake. And then if Kishore Biani wanted to do a deal, Walmart could explore doing a deal with the Biani. If foreign investment is not allowed, it's highly possible that the Biani might do a three-way deal where you have Walmart, Bharti and the Biani. Right. And another deal that he is very keen to get into is with Mitsubishi. That's something new that I read in your cover. Can you tell us what's that about? Of all the developments, it's a more recent development. Mitsubishi operates a division called Living Essentials, which essentially has a whole host of consumer-facing businesses. And that division operates the Lawson's neighborhood store chain in Japan. That's, that's like your local Kirana shops that you have in Indian cities, your neighborhood shops that you have in Indian cities. And uh, Kishore Biani has tried to get into that business through the KB's fair price shops, which you find in Delhi and Bombay. This initially started as a set of meetings where Mitsubishi wanted to explore getting into neighborhood retail in India. Before you knew it, you had Kishore Biani himself making a few visits to Japan, and, that, and that's when they were negotiating. But then Mitsubishi threw, threw in another offer on the table and said, hey, let us purchase a minority stake in Big Bazaar, knowing that that is the jewel in his crown. Uh, now, Kishore Biani is said to be not too keen on that because that would complicate matters if foreign investment were out tomorrow, tomorrow and he could do it with Walmart or someone else. And so this categorically communicated to Mitsubishi that, look, Big Bazaar is not up for sale and, you know, we're not going to discuss that. And that seems to have had clouded out talks on the other businesses as well, the food sourcing, et cetera, et cetera. So that's another discussion that the group is in. At the time of writing, it was not clear where that would go. But that certainly is a very interesting possibility for Kishore Biani. And when all of this is happening, there is this little thing called the competition. 
where uh, we have Reliance, which uh, I read that it's going to put about $1 billion, uh, am I right, to expand its uh, hypermarket chain. So That's correct. So how does uh, Mr. Biani plan to reply? So competition is really catching up. There's no doubt about it. A recent report by CLSA said that although organized retail has only a 6% share of the Indian consumption basket, when you look at cities, the share is as high as 20%. And since most modern retail is in cities, we know that there is a lot of competition in large cities in India. Now, when Big Bazaar started in 2001, often it was the only large hypermarket in that area. Since then, the, the situation has changed. You have catchment areas where four or five of the best players in India are present. You have a consumer that can choose from four or five of the best shops. You have consumers that go from store to store just searching for the best deals. And this is a very different environment for someone like Kishore Biani. While Big Bazaar hasn't done too badly, primarily because it still plays on the price game and they still try and promise the cheapest prices, there is a lot of competition. So you have ticket sizes that are shrinking. The bill amounts for each customer customer that are shrinking. You have consumers who are saying that, look, why should I put up with a messy big bazaar? Kishore Biani had often said that customers like to shop in messy, disorganized uh, outlets because that reminds them of their traditional bazaars. You have consumers saying that we want to shop in modern, clean environments. And, you know, when they have their choice, a lot of them are exercising that. So competition clearly has had some sort of an effect on uh, Big Bazaar and Kishore Biani has tried new formats. Uh, he's got a food hall format where he's trying to get customers to upgrade and get them to buy gourmet foods and get them to buy, you know, breads that are freshly baked, etc., etc. So he is trying new things. Uh, just one other thing that I mentioned about competition is that when a lot of foreign retailers came to India, they said that maybe Big Bazaar and Kishore Biani have figured out the model where they said that customers want to shop in a traditional bazaar-like environment that's disorganized and messy. But now the likes of Walmart are challenging those very fundamental assumptions and saying that, no, customers in India want to shop in modern, clean environments where your store shelves are neatly laid out, where you have uh, checkout counters that don't make you wait beyond 5 to 10 minutes and things like that. They have challenged a lot of those assumptions. And so over the next five to seven years, it'll be very, very interesting to see which way this plays out and whether Kishore Biani was right or whether the new crop of retailers were right. Right. It's interesting you say that because at the moment, the big bazaars, you know, even the slogan, it reads, Sirf dikhne mein hi mehenga. It's clearly pointed towards value for money proposition. So even that could take a shift in the coming years. That's entirely possible. Right. And one little thing, I know the article focuses mainly on offline retail, but how much is e-commerce a threat to Kishore Biani and his group? Because you have Flipkarts of the world, all right, they do sell more of mobile phones and accessories, but increasingly people are buying apparels online and shoes online. That wasn't happening until two years back. Some of them are getting crazy valuations and a lot of money is being pumped in from venture capitalists from abroad. For all we know, Future Group might be in a far better position to do this online, but for some reason they are not doing it. How do they see e-commerce in their whole plan? I think the Future Group faces the same problem that any offline retailer faces when they try to migrate to online retail. That's not their core and it doesn't get the kind of attention it should deserve. And so eventually efforts flounder. With 
Kishore Biyani, I think his mainstay really is apparel retail, which is now sold, and food retail and general merchandise. And these really are not under threat from commerce at the moment. Maybe once it becomes a larger threat, he will start looking at it in some seriousness. He does have a venture called futurebazaar.com, but I'm told that's not doing too well. And I think he's going to experiment with some sort of electronic retail, electro- electronics retail. So that's your televisions and washing machines, et cetera, et cetera, online at some stage. But um, it's not sort of, it's not something that's keeping him, him awake at night. Let's just put it that way. Right. So last question, what is keeping him awake at night? Having got rid of a lot of his debt worries, he is, I would imagine he's sleeping much more <laughs> calmly at night. Right. Uh, if you'd ask me what's keeping him Awake at night, I'd say how to get operational efficiencies back into his business so that he doesn't lose money at a per store level. And that's primarily Big Bazaar, which really is the jewel in his crown. And how to scale up Big Bazaar. How does he find the growth capital that he needs to take it from 165 stores at present to 300 stores? Because once he gets there, that, that really is great size and, score, or size and scale. And anyone would then want to get into it and buy it, buy it out and you know then run it. At this stage, I think this is what would really keep him awake. He just needs to get down, dig deep, and get his business efficient. Right. And you had done a cover about a year or so before that, and now we are having another one. Maybe we'll get to read something different about a year or so later. Thank you very much, Samar, for your time. You're welcome. Thank you. And uh, all you listeners, you can get this podcast on ForbesIndia.com and uh, TheIndicast.com. You can subscribe to us on iTunes and to get the Forbes India magazine subscription, just message Forbes to 51818.